You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Canton and Simiu show this week live on the Chronicles of Aguna. Uh, as ever, I'm Harry Simiu and I'm joined by, I'm sure you've guessed, Tom Canton. Tom, welcome to the show, mate. How are you, first of all? Yeah, tired but good. Um, but uh, when it's you're tired because of football, I suppose that can only be a good thing, really. You could be tired. Actually, I'm not going to name a job because someone in the chat might have that job. So. <laughs> Play it safe. It's mentally tired, though, isn't it? It's a little like mm. it's not physically like this is. And this is one of the things I really struggled with doing this kind of work. Like I do find it really mentally draining. Do you find it the mm. same? Yeah. I mean, it's it's 12 hours of Arsenal every day, basically, for me. Like I get up at six, make the 8 a.m. show, do the 8 a.m. show, start work at nine, finish at five, then do some kind of stream in the evening for an hour. It's yeah, it's twelve hours every day, so it's it is draining, um, especially when it's Arsenal that you're talking about as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, first of all, before we get into it, Tom, uh, I want to say a big congratulations because the Guna Talk TV has hit thirty thousand subscribers. That's an incredible achievement, mate. And um, thanks, man. Fully deserved. Uh, lots and lots of hard work goes into it. I know. Um, so, just wanted to say congratulations, man, and keep up the good work. You'll be at fifty k before you know it. Oh man, thanks. I appreciate it. No, it's uh, it's great, and obviously, I, as I say every time, it's always about kind of the community there uh, and, and the people that I know cross over to, to to the chronicles as well. And you see plenty of the people that are in my chat box and your chat box and your chat box in my chat box. So it's it's always about the people that are tuning in. So yeah, but I mean yourself, you'll be you'll be you'll be pretty close to that very soon, I'm sure. You got to get up at eight a.m. and that's just yeah. the secret. <laughs> I, I might I might see if I get if I get up at seven a.m. It might it oh, might do I the see. trick. I don't know. Undercutting the market. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> no, honestly, I'm not a morning person, so you won't catch me doing that anytime soon. Uh, but again, well done, mate. Congrats on the 30K. Uh, big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all good. Uh, a couple of you knocking off work early to uh, jump in the chat, which is always uh, great to see. Um, don't forget that if you haven't subscribed to the Guna Talk TV, the link is in the description. Click on it. It will take you straight over there. Get subscribed. And of course, this show will be available in audio format across both the platforms from tomorrow morning. Uh, right, Tom, we were going to talk solely about Arsenal's chances of getting into the top four. Mm. And, uh, and we will still predominantly talk about that. We'll take some of your questions as well towards the end. But I wanted to ask you about some of the stuff that's going around on social media today off the back of a, a piece from The Athletic with regards to Alexander Isak and that the mm. club didn't feel that triggering that release clause or that release clause itself was indicative of the player's market value. That was something I was saying that I wasn't sure that he was worth that at the time, although I'd have preferred a striker to no striker. Ultimately, it's not our money. But do you think that Arsenal were right to decide against uh, triggering that release clause and putting down that much money on the table. 
Yeah, I do. Um, I think that during the window uh, and you're sitting there and you're desperate to see a striker come and you're sitting there and you're trying to justify it to yourself because it seemed as if that was the likeliest option that we would kind of go for in the window. So I was sitting there going, right, well, if we if we overpay, surely the money that we're overpaying could be paid back by the money that we could get for you know qualifying for the Champions League. I'm trying to justify it in my head. But really, in reality, Isaac is a £40 million player, in my mind, maximum. Um so to pay nearly double what his market value is worth, I just think would would be mental, really, especially when you can get another striker for the same kind of price, like a Jonathan David-style striker, and then get a midfielder for, say, 30 to £40 million pounds as well, in addition to that. I get the idea of bringing in someone um, in, in the window of that kind of calibre, but there wasn't really anyone available. It was only Isaac that was going to be the alternative to, to Vlaovic because of the release clause. Sostad didn't have to sell. Lille didn't have to sell. David's Espanyol didn't have to sell to Thomas. And they were always going to demand a ridiculous figure to, to let them go in winter, which is why I've got a little bit more sympathy for the fact we didn't get the marquee player. I still have my views about the players that did move and that we could have signed Arta Cabral being the main one for me. Um, but in regards to specifically Isaac, I, look, I, I have no qualms with the club not going and blowing £75 million on a guy that scored four league goals this season. So we haven't actually caught up since the transfer window closed. So mm. who were the players that made moves? that? And you've mentioned Cabral there, but were there any others that you looked at and thought, well, why didn't we move and why didn't we act on this? Yeah, look, Cabral is the main one, along with Bruno Guimaraes. Uh, those two, for me, are the ones I feel like would have uh, would have upgraded upon existing players in the team. Arthur Cabral is definitely better than Kenketia. There's an argument that he could have come in and maybe picked up his form that he was doing for Basel and, and scored more goals than Lacazette as well. And for 60 million euros, of which he joined for Fiorentina, uh, I just yeah, I, I can't not justify us not going for that because we're going to need two strikers in the summer anyway so we're going to need to bring in a backup to the marquee striker that we're looking to bring to the other one was Valt Veghorst who went to Burnley uh, I know that people might go really Valt Veghorst but when you consider that we chucked 22 crosses into the box against Burnley having a six foot five backup striker um, isn't always a bad thing especially one as good as him I never would have picked him for kind of the main striker but considering he went for like 12 million quid I don't see what would have been an issue in having someone like him as another option. Uh, I did a piece where I, I think I listed 15 players that moved, and I, I did so many that I'm struggling to remember all of them now backwards. But you also have, uh, I really like this this guy that I did a little bit of research into called Joey Veerman, who's uh, a Dutch midfielder who moved from here in vain to PSV. Uh, seven assists and three goals from midfield at the age of 23. Uh, really progressive, uh, really, really solid central midfielder. I'm looking forward to watching him and what he does for PSV now. But he only moved for five million quid. And you're thinking like, that's, he seemingly fits kind of the kick, like the crucial profile that we were looking at. Thiago Tomas, Portuguese striker that went from Sporting to Stuttgart on loan uh, during this window as well. One that you'll know about, Stefano Sensi, Italian central midfielder, mm. uh, went from Inter Milan to Sampdoria. That could turn into a, a permanent deal. Samuele Ricci, or Ricci, who joined um, Torino from Empoli as well. Really exciting young central midfielder. So there were players. Midfield for me wasn't that crucial. Um, so it was kind of just looking at the ones that did move. It was always going to be striker. But yeah, it, it, for me, it always comes back to Arta Cabral and thinking 60 million euros the guy that replaced Vlaovic at Fiorentina it, it for me it would have made a lot of sense so yeah interesting stuff because yeah I, I get what you're saying and, and there were a lot of players that that did move that you know you you could make a strong case for and say yeah why didn't we get this guy in why didn't we make that move and I completely understand that 
but there's a small part of me that's actually quite pleased that we didn't act out of haste like we didn't just go we need someone desperately let's just pull the trigger on any old thing because i think that's largely the reason we are where we are now Mm -hmm. and so to not see arsenal sort of fall into that trap again was a bit of a positive although overall you'd agree that it was a a sort of underwhelming window moving on to kind of arsenal's chances of finishing in the top four um i felt at the start of the season that our chances of finishing in the top four were were not as strong maybe as some others did i think as the season's gone on that kind of that percentage of the likelihood in my mind has slightly increased Mm. But it's now decreased again, um, not just because of the transfer window, but because of some some poor performances, some poor results, how thin the squad is uh, now looking at it. Where are you in terms of a percentage? How likely do you think it is that Arsenal finish in the top four? And, and what are your reasons for that? Uh, I think it's pretty low. Um I think it's probably around 20-ish percent chance, uh, one in five chance. I suppose that's a cop-out answer because there's five teams really that can get it. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's the, the funny ironic fact that it probably is 20% just on pure luck. Um, but no, I I feel like Antonio Conte's presence at Spurs um, is, is going to be enough for them to probably pip Arsenal this season, along with a couple of you know reinforcements, not ones that improve on their first 11, but just reinforcements and the presence of the fact they've got Harry Kane and Hume Min Son will be coming back and they've weathered January pretty well despite not having Hume Min Son there. So that that's a frustration. I think that that means that they'll probably have a better chance than us. Man United have started to turn the screw a little bit recently. Um which is annoying, but it almost seems like a matter of time until they would. I'm hoping that, uh, I'm not hoping, but obviously there's, there's things that I'm not going to discuss that have gone in the background and maybe that will have kind of an impact on on their season. Um, and then you've got West Ham United who didn't strengthen. I feel like we've got a better team than them. I feel like they will be impacted by both the FA Cup and the Europa League participation that they have. So I feel like they will probably fall away a little bit, but there's still a chance for us. Um, we ha- we have this game against Wolves. If we win that game, I think it's a huge victory, first of all, because it's, Wolves are a very good side and going, to, going there is always tough. But we'll have hopefully the team that played against Man City, barring maybe Tommy Asu, who's the, the, the question mark. We don't know about his fitness. There's, as I said before, there's whispers that maybe he'll return for that game, whispers that he could uh, be back in training very soon. But... Uh, if we do have that team that started against Man City, which we haven't had since that game against Wolves, there's a good chance that we can get a result there and if we play the same kind of way that we did. So, And if you do, I think we'd have to agree, Harry, that that would be a massive confidence boost going into the game against Brentford and then you can start kind of picking up momentum. Yeah, and confidence is such a big thing for a young mm. side, isn't it? Like, we know that the ability is there. I don't think there's ever really been a question mark around the ability of some of our young players, the, the Sackers, the Smith Rose, the Odegaards, that, you know, all of them on their day have been wonderful players to watch. And, and you feel as though they have what it takes to go on to that highest level. But the, the, the big fear and the big concern and the first thing that people talk about when you talk about a young team is mm. inconsistency. And a lot of that comes from confidence, right? It's about when you do suffer a setback, bouncing back from it really, really quickly. And that is something that the manager has to deal with, but it's also something that they as individuals have to overcome, right? Yeah, absolutely. Confidence, especially with such a young side, is is always going to be crucial. Uh, and I think that you saw January just 
utterly destroy the confidence really of the side. Um, not having some senior figures like you see in other sides with Liverpool and Milner and Henderson who can really kind of get the back of those young kids. And when the senior players at Arsenal are the ones that are letting the side down in Xhaka and, and Pato, both got sent off, of course. Aubameyang's been exiled and now left. And Lacazette's kind of left, I suppose, on his own as, as kind of meant to be this fulcrum of experience and guidance. And, and that's never really been his forte or what his expectation is. He's always been great with the young kids and bringing, welcoming new players into the team. But it's not, and it shouldn't be, his responsibility to be the, the fulcrum of guidance for this side. But we've really kind of lacked that, I think. And when we get into these games against Wolves and Brentford, getting wins is going to be massive because it's what these kids will thrive on is, is good performances, uh, is on the challenge of trying to beat those sides. That's why we've, you know, when we go into those games against Man City and the home game against Spurs earlier this season and the Villa game as well, there was a bit of narrative to that fixture. We came out of the traps in all of those games because there was kind of this, you know, expectation and narrative behind things buoying us forwards. Whereas the games against Burnley and Brighton and Crystal Palace and Everton, games where we were really, there was all the expectation was on us, all the pressure was on Arsenal. That's when it kind of faltered uh, in a way. So I'm hoping that we can get over that. And I do think this 18-day kind of hiatus and warm-weather training camp will hopefully give time to kind of reset and uh, and have everybody back for that game against Wolves. I mean, do you think that this 18 days could be a turning point for the second half of our season? Or do you think that oh, everyone's going to get time off, so it's going to be the same for everybody? I think for us, more than anybody, it's it's really, really important because I think mm. that, you know, and maybe not just for us, but for any team that was struggling, the opportunity to kind of come away from things, to take a step back and and, and step out of the spotlight for a little bit is is welcomed. I think you often hear it, don't you? You hear managers say that, they want to just get things done. Uh, they want to get back into the swing of things after a defeat. And one of the great things about football is that you can just quickly reset and go focus on the next game. But I don't always think that's true. I think that's what they want you to to hear because they don't want to say that they're fearful of what's coming up and they don't want to mm. say that the confidence is at an all-time low publicly. But I do believe that having an opportunity like this to get away, keep the team together, keep the squad together, keep that bond really tight, Training warm weather would be great for recovery in terms of their bodies because we know a lot of them have been pushed to their absolute limits because of the squad mm. issues. So I think it's a good thing and I'm confident, I'm hopeful at least, that when we do come back, we'll see an improvement. And look, if you think about it, although January was really, really poor for us, if you go back to the, the second half of last season, we were much improved. The first half of this season, up until Christmas was overall positive. You know, we've been quite consistent over the last year, I would say. Mm. But it's 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 now we're needing to make sure that that consistency is there across a single season and not spread across, uh, you know, two like that. And and but if we do that, then there's no reason why we can't be in the race for the top four, and there's no reason why we can't consolidate a place in the top six. And the classic thing, Tom, that I've been getting over the last few days, and I'm I'm sure you've got the same, is people saying anything less than the top four finish is an absolute failure and mm. you're accepting mediocrity. What would you say to those people who refuse to accept, basically, that there's no guarantee this team finishes in the top four? Yeah, look, there is no guarantee. I think there's a really good opportunity for Arsenal to get into the top four this season. And and that kind of links into a little bit of my disappointment while we didn't strengthen in January, because I think we could have taken advantage of that. But look, 
if we finish fifth, I don't think it's an absolute failure because I think Arsenal have the fifth best team in the league. Sixth, I'd be interested to see who are the five teams ahead of us. And then we can have a bit of a conversation, I suppose, about that. But finishing fifth, I don't think is an absolute failure. And I don't think many people at the start of the season would have said that either. I really want us to achieve top four. I think if you sit there and say we finished fifth um, and, and, you know, that uh, that's three places up from last season. We want to get into top four. We're progressing forwards, you know, three places up from last season. How far can we go up the following season? I don't think that's accepting mediocrity. I think that's, you know, I think there is an arrogance sometimes um, about where Arsenal are at. Uh, I think I saw a comment in the chat box that was like, uh, I can't believe my. I thought I can't believe it's the day where. Our, hold on, it was Machine who said, "Never in my whole life did I think this great club would have to rely on other teams." Um, you know, it's. I think back to 2006 when we had to rely on West Ham to beat Spurs to get into the Champions League. Like it's not exactly like this is coming out of nowhere. So there's been. You will always remember that there are other teams in this league, very very good teams in this league that are competing for the same exact thing, and I think that this Arsenal first eleven has the potential to get to top four. But say we do finish fifth, it's not an absolute failure. It would depend how we how we miss out on top four. Like yeah. if we completely capitulate, then there is good conversation, well, not not good, but uncomfortable conversations to be had about why and what happened. But at this moment in time, as we sit at the start of February, with renewed hope and optimism going into the second half, and I am optimistic, despite the fact that we didn't sign anyone in this window, I still think we've got a very good starting eleven if everybody is fit. So. I am optimistic about the second half of the season. And if we do achieve top four, it would still be an unbelievably impressive uh, achievement to to accomplish. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said we've got an opportunity to finish in the top four. So we have no right to finish yeah, in the top four. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we all come across opportunities every single day. We don't always take them. If you took every single positive opportunity that came your way, then, you know, you'd be loving life, but it ain't realistic, is it? You know, sometimes you've got to accept that you just weren't ready um, or, or you just weren't at that point. And I think what's probably not helped us this season is the fact that it's helped us in one way because we're in the race for the top four. Mm. But what the fact that Tottenham and Manchester United, you know, suffering has done is actually raised the level of expectation, a bit like the FA Cup win raised the level of expectation on Mikel Arteta. And we learned very quickly that that had kind of skewed things a little bit. And I, mm. I think it's really important to measure progress with certain metrics as opposed to getting sucked into what other people are doing all the time. I mean, that's why I always like to stick to pre-season objectives because I think those objectives where you're not influenced by how other teams have performed, they're probably the biggest indicator of where you think your team is actually at and mm. that's not taken into account anywhere else you know you you'd have thought man united would have been nailed on for a top four finish and now the door's a little bit open we think we're going to get there and and that will lead to some people di being disappointed ultimately but it's yeah. not the reality is it no and i mean chelsea fans will say that they should have been title contenders this season yeah. uh they're just off the back of a champions league win they, they've invested a lot of money uh, they were hoping to be in the title race, but it isn't Manchester City and getting over Manchester and Liverpool is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, and even with all of their resources, they, they are struggling to try and do that. It, there is no, the entitlement is always a problem, I think, at Arsenal because of our history and because of our stature and, and being, in my opinion, the third biggest club in, in the country. Yeah, I agree with that. that. 
there is always going to be that entitlement there and that expectation. But the reality of the situation is that Arsenal are still very much rebuilding from the mistakes of the past. And so to sit there and say it's top four or bust, I think is probably too far. Um, I think anything lower than fifth, we can start having some conversations because of the reality of the situation. Um, even though fifth and sixth give you the same thing, uh, I do think that when you look at who who is going to finish above us from those top five places, if it is Spurs or if it is West Ham or if it is even Wolves or Man United or whatever, then we can start to have conversations. But two of the top four challengers will finish above us if we finish sixth. And I think then there is a conversation to be had. Why did we finish as low as that? And what led to that point? But again, we can always talk about the prospect of finishing top four. But until we finish the season and have a better understanding of why we finished where we did, we won't really genuinely be able to come up with a conclusion. But I am happy with what we did in January in regards to furthering the removal of the deadwood and looking to only bring in players that are really genuinely going to improve us uh, and improve on what we've got. Again, I maintain that I think there are a couple of players that could have done that, but. The fact that, as you said earlier, that we didn't go out and bring in a Willian or we didn't bring in a Mustafi or a Socrates, any of these types of players that don't really improve on what we've got. I am glad that we didn't do that. And that still does show growth, even though I know it's not exactly what everybody wants to see as an evidence of growth. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, let's get some of your questions into the live chat box. Uh, I'd love to hear from uh, you guys and we'll put some questions across uh, for the last sort of nine also minutes of the show make sure you hit the like button if you haven't done so already make sure you're subscribed to both channels that really really does help let's get some of those questions let's get some of those thoughts let's get some of those comments uh crusader says it's not like we have a 10 point lead which is you know a really really good point <laughs> yeah. you're absolutely right you know we're not even in the driving seat like yeah. it's it's a really good point and it does feel like some people are kind of seeing it that way like Oh my God, we, we, we're the front runners for this and we're really not. Uh, let's take mm. this one from uh, Matt Thornton who says, worst case scenario, we don't qualify for Europe. That really would be the worst case scenario. Mm. That's Isak and David off the table for a striker. What other strikers are there to target? <laughs> it's, it's one oh, of those where not so qualifying pessimistic, for man. Europe. Yeah. <laughs> not qualifying for Europe right now is the unthinkable. So I haven't even thought about this. But I, I guess who else is it is there that catches your eye? I think somebody like maybe Dominic Calvert-Lewin might yeah, be attainable. It depends where Everton finish after appointing Frank Lampard, I suppose, and and that pull. But I remember, I think it was, was it Danny Mills? I think I wrote a piece about talking about why would Calvert-Lewin move to Arsenal? It's a sideways step, which I still think is that ridiculous. Um Everton is it's just not on the level of Arsenal and hasn't been for a significant period of time. And it is a step forward if you go from Everton to Arsenal. Um, but the thing is, is that we then have to start looking and being more savvy. We'd have to start bringing in kind of the, you know, the the Gabriels, the the Ben Whites, the the Erdogars, kind of you know shrewd bits of business to find strikers. <laughs> the Arthur Gabriels again, kind of you know being a little bit cheeky with with the players that you find looking for potential, looking for those big wins. Michu always comes to mind, like finding the little gems of the market that might. But I don't want to be there. 
I don't want to have to do that. And to be honest, if we do finish outside of Europe, it means that Mikel Arteta has to go. And it means then you have to find a manager that in that manager is the attraction for the players. Because it won't really be Arsenal. It may be in terms of our stature, sure. But not having Europe will be huge. And so therefore having a manager that can attract players in the summer window if we finish out of Europe will have to be the primary. Because I'm not sure Arteta will have the clout to be able to do that. Yeah, no, great points again. Uh, Jonathan, Brereton Diaz, look, mm. I've got to say, I'm on the <laughs> Brereton Diaz hype train. Not because... <laughs> quite a player, isn't he? Not, not even because of what he's doing at Blackburn, which is incredible, by the way. He's scoring a, a shit ton of goals. He's been in mm. wonderful form. But I saw, I don't know if you saw this, there was a clip going around of a goal he scored for Chile uh, a few, maybe a few days ago. Mm. And just, I, I, I don't know what it was, the whole... You know how the South American crowd is like super passionate and, you know, it's not people sitting there with their arms folded. It's all colour. It's all, it was brilliant. <laughs> not the Emirates and, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, no, that that got me on the hype train. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kingsley says, do you think Arsenal will go back for Isak? So I, I think they will. I, mm. I think they will go back for Isak. But I think, as I said on a couple of our transfer shows, the summer is a much longer window and it gives you an opportunity to negotiate a lower fee. It also yeah. gives Real Sociedad the time to be able to look around and identify a replacement. And and I think that there is a chance that you get him for less than the release clause in the summer that didn't exist in, in January. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, teams don't have to sell in January and uh, there's not really a pressure. Even from the player side of things, they're not even that pressure to leave because, I mean, if you look at what Real Sociedad have, I think they're in the quarterfinal of the Copa del Rey, they're through to the knockout stage of the Europa League and they're in a race for the top four. You move to Arsenal with the six months left of the season, you're in a race for top four, but you're not even guaranteed of getting Champions League football. Real Sociedad, are pretty, I mean, I know they dropped recently, but I still think that they'll push towards Europe next season. So, I mean, ironically, Isaac didn't really have a motivation to join Arsenal besides it being Arsenal and, and probably a pay rise so I think in the summer when everything's reset and Arsenal know where they're at and, and the, the competitions that they're going to be in they'll have a much better negotiation standing than, than, than what they did right now yeah no good stuff uh, the Stilton Avenger says would you prefer a good run in the Europa League possibly a trophy or the Champions League and getting tonked every week and not making it out of the group stage. We used to get through the group stage. We used to get tonked in the round of 16. Uh, but yeah, uh, where are you on this, Tom? And then and then I'll give my answer. I hate this view. I'm sorry, Stilton Avenger, but I really hate it when people say, uh, oh, what's the point of being in the Champions League? Like we get knocked out in the round of 16. I don't, I don't understand that. Like I love Champions League nights. I love being in the competition. I love having the ability to attract the best players because you're in that competition. And look, we were in the Champions League for a long time under Arsene Wenger with no money. If Arsenal were to get into the Champions League now with a much better capacity to spend... I'd be really excited to see what we would do in the market and interested to see what players that we could attract and compete with. I mean, people go on about Erling Haaland, which I don't believe is realistic, but I know being in the Champions League, you could at least throw your hat in. Like you could get, you could throw a hat with Martin Erdegaard poking out the top and waving at him to try and convince him to come. But I don't saying it would happen, but it gives you a chance to put yourself at the table of those other teams when you're in the Champions League. So I absolutely want to be in that elite competition because without it, I, it's it's a painful thing to watch knowing that Arsenal aren't playing on Tuesday and Wednesday nights in that, and it, I miss it so much. So no, I don't buy into that. There's no point being in it at all, I'm afraid. Yeah, no, and I'm the same. I'm one of those people that watches on with envy 
when I see other teams come out to that Champions League anthem. And although the Europa League anthem has grown on me over the last couple of years, it's still not quite the same. It's still has it really grown on you? It I has. You're just used has. to it. <laughs> yeah, maybe, but I, I, do, uh, I sort of walk around humming it sometimes. Not now. Do you know what's worse? It's the same as the Conference League anthem. Like they're the same. Uh, do you know what? I didn't even know that, and now it's mm. put me off it. See, get that I think it's it. exactly this. I think I'm pretty sure that's right. I didn't really tune in. I think I saw it like an advert. I didn't watch a single conference league game. This like, I just I don't believe it to be a real thing. Like it's not a competition. So yeah, it's <laughs> that, there's that Arsenal snobbery coming in. <laughs> mm-hmm. We've all got it. We've, We've all got, got it. it. We have indeed. We have indeed. Uh, we'll squeeze in uh, one more question. Uh, just quickly, really, on, on the, the mm. old firm derby, which is kicking off uh, in a little bit. I'm going to lean towards Celtic just because I commentated on their game at the weekend. They got a last-minute winner, which will really lift the spirits, and they're at home. Uh, so that's uh, my Rangers take. for Ramsey's debut, surely. He's not involved. He's not involved. Was he not involved? Oh, no. Okay. Um, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst confirmed that he won't be in the squad because he's, he's injured. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's not been fit, apparently, uh, oh, for the last yeah. couple, of, uh, couple yeah. of weeks, which is... Uh, left him unavailable. Uh, Halo Mateus says, Harry, as a prolific Arsenal fan, I'm not really sure what a prolific Arsenal fan Goes is. to loads of games. That's what it must be. Okay. <laughs> How would you rate Arsenal's ability to communicate with the fans so as Arsenal's fans understand what purpose and ambition Arsenal are steering against? Uh, this is a good question. I, I think we can do more in terms of our communication with the fans. And I think that a lot of the sensible fans will will respond well to that but I also understand why Arsenal don't do it so much as well and if Tom if you think back to earlier on in the season when Edu gave that interview after the first three games Mm -hmm. and he he was asked about an objective and he refused to give one that was from fear right of people backlashing and saying it wasn't good enough or and measuring it as well yeah exactly so I get why they're like that what's your take on that can they communicate better Absolutely. Like uh, I always remember the uh, the announcement that st- about the fan forums that would happen three times a year. Although I don't remember three happening last year at all. Uh, I, I may be wrong, but I don't remember three fan forums. I'm not talking about the advisory boards. Which I'm talking about the fan forums that that take place um, that we saw after the Super League fiasco. That that type of fan forum where Akil went in. It's <laughs> absolutely respected for that. Um, and. I remember the statement they put out where Josh Kroenke will be present for at least one of them. And you're thinking, it's three days. It's like an hour. It's three hours out of 365 days in the year, and you're guaranteeing at least, just at least one appearance. Are you mad? Like, what kind of commitment does that show? And then the other one is, you mentioned Edu's interview with the club and with Sky after those first three games. But it was after we just signed on deadline day and we'd had six signings in our most expensive summer window ever. Where's that same energy after this disappointing January window? Like, why are you not coming out and doing an interview now? Uh, that would show me that, look, you can face the music and you're not just going to be there for the times where you spent loads of money. Why not just come out and have an interview and under- explain to us what the difficulty was in signing players, why you chose not to sign certain players? Like, we shouldn't have to rely on the sources at The Athletic to tell us that they chose not to go for Izak because they didn't feel like he was representative. Come out and tell us that you weren't willing to go to the prices that were being demanded. You don't have to name names, but just communication is, is what we want. And I think there's a missed opportunity there. 
yeah just just give us a little bit and we'll fill in the gaps right i mean we do yeah. that anyway so we might as well get it straight from do. the horse's mouth <laughs> yeah, exactly we fill in uh, the chasms not the gaps yeah. the absolute <laughs> chasms yeah no good, good point uh right we've run out of time guys uh but thank you all so much for tuning in thank you to all our live viewers to everybody who will be watching this back or listening to it back later on as well make sure you're subscribed to the chronicles of aguna make sure you're subscribed to the guna talk tv the link is in the description below and if you're listening via the audio platforms please do leave us a review we'll be back very very soon with more next week we'll be on tom's the guna talk tv channel so you might as well get subscribed from now uh, and uh, we'll catch you all then until next time take care listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.